You're listening to Comedy Central. October 17, 2018. From Comedy Central's World News Headquarters in New York, this is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Tonight is a, is a rising star in democratic politics. Julian Castro is here, everybody. A really charismatic young man. He's making waves, and uh, we'll be talking to him about his new memoir and his plans for 2020. But first, let's catch up on today's headlines. Canada, or as Americans know it, Plan B. <laughs> it's a country many Americans envy for its universal health care and handsome, not crazy leader. And as of today, Canada's prime minister isn't the only thing that's smoking. The maple leaf is turning green. Starting today, Canada, our neighbor to the north, becomes one of two countries in the world to legalize marijuana for recreational use, fulfilling the campaign promise made by Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Canada is now the biggest country to legalize marijuana, creating an industry worth more than $4 billion. Wow, congratulations, Canada. This is great news for your economy, but it's also great news for all Canadians, because now Seth Rogen can finally try weed. This is fantastic. <laughs> Honestly, I, I just assumed that they were already high all the time up there. I mean, have you seen their horses? What the f <laughs> and, and I'm happy for Canada. But I'm not gonna lie, as someone who lives in New York City, this story pisses me off. All these places are getting legal weed before us. Like, Canada doesn't need weed. New York does. <laughs> right now, there are angry people walking around New York screaming at each other like, hey, I'm walking over here! <laughs> we need the weed. If the city, city legalized weed, they'd be like, hey, I was, uh... <laughs> I was doing something over... I don't know, you go. You go first. You go first. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's move on to news coming out of Colorado, where weed is also legal. But unfortunately, so is something else. Next month, Colorado will vote on changing the language in its state constitution so that it no longer allows slavery as a form of punishment. Slavery is technically still legal in many states, including Colorado. Part of Colorado's constitution reads that there shall never be in this state either slavery or involuntary servitude except as a punishment for crime. Amendment A on the ballot this year would change the last part to abolish slavery completely. Yo, America, America is real shady. You brag about ending slavery, but then you keep it in the fine prints? <laughs> like when Abraham Lincoln wrote the Emancipation Proclamation, I didn't know he was like, all persons held as slaves, our henceforth shall be freed. I was like, terms and conditions apply. Free persons may be a re-enslaved as punishment for crime for work. If we really need work done cheap and fast, we're gonna get the people working. That's a slick move. And finally, finally, we all love grandma's cookies. But one student in California took it a little too far. Davis police are investigating a bizarre incident that uh, allegedly happened at a high school. A male student claims he saw a girl pass out cookies, saying that she had used her grandmother's ashes to bake them. Officers believe as many as nine students at Da Vinci Charter Academy High School ate the cookies, some who knew what was allegedly in them. Now, 
I know, I know, I know you might be thinking that this is disgusting. Those kids ate the cookies knowing that they were granny ashes inside of them, but don't judge them. These are cookies, okay? <laughs> you would have to be a psychopath to turn down cookies. <laughs> like, I don't know about you, but I love cookies. If you offer me cookies, I'm always gonna eat them, all right? You'd be like, but they contain ashes. Okay, but do they contain cookies? Yeah, <laughs> then we're good. You, if you give me cookies and tell me that there might be dog poop inside them, I'll eat around. I'll just be like, yeah, I'll eat around the dog poop. <laughs> I'll just put it on one piece. I'll be like, that's a piece of the poop. And you're like, oh, how do you know that's a piece of the poop? Good point. I might as well eat that too then. I might as well eat it all. <laughs> it's cookies. What I am worried about is what if these grandma ash cookies are the best cookies these kids have ever had? <laughs> then they're gonna get addicted. Then one of their other grandmas is gonna walk in the room and be like, hey boys, what are you doing? They'll be like, hello, grandmother. <laughs> all right, that's it for the headlines. Let's move on to our top story. <laughs> The midterm elections are now just 20 days away. And one of the unfortunate byproducts of that is we're gonna be seeing a lot more of this guy. And I know what you're thinking. How is it possible to see more Trump? Because, I mean, he's already on the news. He's doing rallies. He's tweeting. He shows up in my dream where I'm marrying J-Lo. But when I lift up the veil, it's actually Trump. And then I still go through with it because our fr all our friends already flew out and I'm not, you know, gonna like lose the deposit. I'm not happy about it. <laughs> but case in point, since just yesterday, the president has given not one, not five, but three separate interviews. Now, I don't know why I said it that way, but what's important <laughs> is that President Trump has been sharing his thoughts on a variety of topics, including his favorite Chinese hoax, climate change. Yesterday, when the Associated Press told him that scientists say it is nearing a point where this can't be reversed, Trump responded, no, no, some say that and some say differently. I mean, you have scientists on both sides of it. My uncle was a great professor at MIT for many years, Dr. John Trump, and I didn't talk to him about this particular subject, but I have a natural instinct for science. Okay. Okay, that's... That's interesting. Just in case you missed that, Trump says he doesn't believe in man-made climate change because his uncle was a scientist, and that means that Trump has a natural instinct for science. Now, he also says he never spoke to his uncle about climate change. He just has the science knowledge. You know, it's, it's in his blood, right? Now, I think that's cholesterol, but that's not the point. Uh, like, none of this makes any sense. Just because his uncle was good at science doesn't mean that Trump is good at science. That's not how it works. If a pilot has a heart attack, they're never like, is anyone on this plane related to a pilot? <laughs> My cousin watched that Sully movie once. All right, you land the plane. <laughs> so Trump doesn't believe in man-made climate change and for the dumbest reason possible. But the question, the question that everyone is really after this week is, does Trump believe Saudi Arabia was behind the disappearance and likely murder of Washington Post columnist Jamal Khashoggi? Right? And even as the evidence continues to pile up, Trump has seemed extremely reluctant to blame Saudi Arabia. Many people have suspected that it's because of money. And it turns out that Trump also suspects that it's because of money. <laughs> Don't forget, Saudi Arabia is our partner. They made the largest order in the history of our country for outside, outside of our country, mm -hmm. for, for weapons. So now people say, well, we want to have you end that order. Well. Aren't we just hurting our own country? So we want to be smart. I don't want to give up a $110 billion order or whatever it is. It's the largest order ever given by an outside country, okay? And I don't want to give that up. You know, say what you want about Trump, but he wears his moral bankruptcy on his sleeve. 
Like he's straight up like, look, I know Saudi Arabia killed a dude, but we all about the Benjamins, yo. Yeah, these long ties don't buy themselves, folks. Because in all honesty, other presidents have also had to make these types of calculations. But Trump is the only one who admits it. Like, I feel like if he was a doctor, he would be like, ma'am, we had to take your son off of life support. And be like, oh no, it's because there was no hope left. No, my iPhone needed a charge. And I had this <laughs> dope tweet, dope tweet I was waiting to send. <laughs> and President Trump is so eager, he's so eager to protect his possible weapons order that not only has he said, despite evidence, that he believes Saudi Arabia's side of the story, he's also said that they are the real victims here. And on the idea of trusting the Saudis, Trump said, quote, well, I think we have to find out what happened first. You know, here we go again with, you know, you're guilty until proven innocent. I don't like that. We just went through that with Justice Kavanaugh and he was innocent all the way. Are you kidding me? Brett Kavanaugh, you gonna bring Brett Kavanaugh into this? Like, I like how Trump's way of dealing with an extremely sensitive issue is to bring in another extremely sensitive issue. He's like, here to discuss school shooting, special guest speaker, Bill Cosby, everybody. <laughs> Bill Cosby. Ooh, the kids with the guns and the boom, boom, bing. <laughs> I mean, I mean, poor Supreme Court Justice for life, Brett Kavanaugh. He just got finished with one giant controversy and now you're gonna drag him into another one? I mean, how, how do you feel about this, Brett? I still like beer. My man. <laughs> But you know what's funny is, in a way, what Trump said captures the truth. In many ways, this is like the Kavanaugh situation. Trump says he wants to find out what happened, but in reality, he's already made up his mind. And you might be saying, oh, but Trevor, how do you know that the Saudi, Arabi the Saudi Arabians killed him? And how do you know the Saudi Arabians killed him? You're not a detective, and that's true. But my uncle was a detective. <laughs> so I've got it in my blood. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Daily Show. My guest tonight is the former mayor of San Antonio and secretary of housing and urban development for President Obama. He's written a memoir called An Unlikely Journey, Waking Up from My American Dream. Please welcome Julian Castro. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Good to be with you. This is so strange because we had your twin brother on the show, and so I feel like I met you on the show, but I haven't met you on the show. <laughs> Did he use a standard line that, he, that I'm a minute uglier than he is? Is that what he says? That's what he tells people, <laughs> yeah. Um, this is a, a, an interesting time for you to be here, for you to be coming out with this book, for you to be, I guess, involved in politics in any way, shape, or form. Um, let's start at the beginning, because that's where the book starts from, Waking Up From My American Dream. What does that mean to you? Why that title? Well, to me, it means that in each generation in my family, starting with my, gr my grandmother who came in 1922 from Mexico as an orphan, um, we found out that it's not enough in America to just work hard and for your family to work hard, that you also needed to work to improve society. Um, my mother became a Mexican-American civil rights activist. Uh, she ran for city council in San Antonio when she was 23 in 1971, right. tried to improve things for the community. And then my brother and I have always seen public service as a way basically to ensure that, uh, that people that grow up in tough circumstances can achieve their American dream. Um, it's also, I think, 
relevant today because what we see right now are young people across the country figuring out that they have a powerful voice. Right. Whether it's the March for Our Lives, students, or any number of other activists, young people are leading the way, you know, pushing us to get better against uh, an administration that is trying to take us backward. You, you, were, you were part of a, an administration previously that uh, was beloved by many. You worked in a position at HUD, Housing and Urban Development. Um, ben Carson now has your job. <laughs> <laughs> when you see him now, do you go like, wow, I didn't realize how many naps I could take? Or, <laughs> or are you impressed with the work he's doing? Yeah. What? Right. You know, I have gotten asked more about that $31,000 dining set than any <laughs> HUD housing policy question right. in the last year. Because he bought, yeah, he bought expensive yeah. furniture. But what do you think he's, what, mean, what do you make of the job that he's doing right now? And more importantly, what do you think that job is supposed to be about? Well, it's, the job is supposed to be about making sure that folks who are poor and who are middle class have housing opportunity. I mean, people, no matter where they live in the United States, can see that the rent is going up, you know, going through the roof like right. crazy, right? And, and folks are having to, to spend more and more of their income just to pay the rent. At the same time, that department under that leadership uh, doesn't have a commitment to the mission of HUD to expanding that opportunity. The White House wanted to cut the budget by $6 billion. It was so weird because the people that we used to fight with in Congress, the Republican Congress, you know, they actually, they were the saviors in not cutting the HUD budget by $6 billion. That's how bad it is. The people that, that, that we, used to fight yeah, you on it to now say. They said, no, no, that's too much for us, you know. Um, there's just not a commitment to the mission of the organization. We are at a time when America is at a crossroads, 20 days away from the midterms. Everyone says that this is going to be a referendum on, on Donald Trump. When you look at voter breakdown, you know, uh, you are Julian Castro. And one of the things that people always speak to is like, you are one of the faces that is emerging from the Democratic Party as, uh, as, as someone who represents Hispanic or Latino voters, however they represent or however they wish to be represented. When you look at the vote numbers, though, they say in America 55% of people who consider themselves Latino are planning to vote, which is a low number, relatively speaking. How do you think the Democratic Party and the Republicans themselves can get people out voting? Well, I think that folks need to reach out to those communities where they are with the issues that matter to them, and that it can't be one or two candidates, and it can't just be folks trying to gin up registration and turnout six months before an election. There has to be a massive and sustained effort to get folks in the Hispanic community registered to vote and then to turn out to vote. Right. And, uh, and I think if that happens, not only is that better for the Latino community, better for our democracy, um, but I think that it's gonna be uh, better for the party that can demonstrate that they can meet their needs. And I, I believe that's gonna be the Democratic Party. It's interesting. Um... <laughs> it's interesting that you've kept your name as Julian. Castro, in a time when your political opponents will obviously go after that. You know, they'll go like, oh, another Castro, Fidel Castro, the Julian coming to take your jobs. It's more of them. Are you prepared for that as something that you've actively chosen to not be like, I'm Julian Castro? Well, you know, in the book, I write that in school, when I was growing up in school, even though my name is Julian, um, uh, the teachers would call me Julian. And it wasn't until I went to college where you can kind of define yourself right. that I started to know it's Julian. Uh, but I was thinking the other day, um, because I'm, I'm considering running in 2020, that uh, I've always had the accent over my A in my name. Right. That I bet if I did that on the sign, that that would be the first time 
that anybody has run uh, for president with the accent and accent over a letter. Oh, and wow. Something that Not simple. Not being afraid to say that, yeah, hey. Yeah, something that simple, but that's who you are, and you should run as who you are. So, so let's... So let's talk about that little nugget that you just slipped in there. I will be running. I, I will be, and on Tuesday I will be running for president of the United I States. I did not say very that. Casual, I would be. Very I casual. Very casual. Very casual. I do that all the time. Yes, and so and then I will be running for president of the United States. Um, 2020 is on the horizon. People are looking, going, who will represent the Democratic Party? And right now, it looks like there are a hundred people in the running. Some people are concerned by this, saying that, is that not going to create an abrasive atmosphere where Democrats are destroying themselves before the race? How do you feel about that as somebody who may be considered as one of the smaller candidates in the, in the running right now? No, I actually think we need that. Um, coming out of 2016, uh, warranted or not, there was a lot of bitterness. And so I believe that having 15 or 20 people running is actually gonna be cathartic for the Democratic Party, where you have a whole bunch of debates, uh, people feel like everybody had their say mm -hmm. and they're part of the political spectrum and the party was represented. And then at the end of the day, that's going to make the eventual nominee stronger right. and more likely to defeat Donald Trump or Mike Pence or whoever it is in November 2020. <laughs> <laughs> let, uh, let me ask you this then. Let me ask you this then. If you were to get to that point, do you genuinely believe that you could go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Donald Trump, understanding that there is no skeleton in his closet. Like, he is the skeleton in the closet. Like, <laughs> you realize there's not much, like, you, 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 do you, un like, do you understand the gravity of the situation? You're up against somebody who's, like, he's talking point proof. He is the Teflon Don, nothing gets to him. What do you think you would do differently in going up against Donald Trump? Well, I would say two things that, uh, first of all, if I decide to run, um, I don't think that, that uh, you're gonna beat Donald Trump by trying to be Donald Trump. Um, if, I watch a lot of boxing. If you watch boxing or sports or other things, mm -hmm. you see that oftentimes people that are considered invincible are not beaten by somebody that has exactly the same skill set. They're right. beaten by somebody that has a different style. But maybe more importantly, um, it's the folks who have been hopeful and optimistic and painted a strong vision for the future that, especially as Democrats, have prevailed. You think about, in the modern era, Kennedy, or Carter when he ran, represented a break from scandal. Right. Or Clinton when he ran, or of course, maybe the best example, Barack Obama in 2008. So, uh, so I think that the next nominee has to be able to stand up to Donald Trump and to call him out, but also to speak directly to the American people and offer a strong, hopeful vision for the future. It's gonna be exciting to hey. see what happens. Thank, Thank you. you so much for being on the show. An unlikely journey is available now. Julian Castro, everybody. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, ears edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.